On this episode of The Playbook, I have Vivek Ranadive, owner and chairman of the Sacramento Kings. And we're going to talk about a very special advantage, the two-second advantage. Join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is The Playbook, where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. This is Dave Melcher with Entrepreneurs The Playbook, and I have Vivek Ranadive. He is the chairman, CEO, co-owner, and I believe he's also the governor of the Sacramento Kings, uh, which I want to ask him about is how you become a governor of a, of a team, unless Wikipedia is wrong. Welcome to The Playbook, Vivek. Uh, thanks, David. Thanks for having me. You know, you are the epitome of an entrepreneur, uh, building an incredible dynasty for yourself, but more importantly, really impacting so many people. You have a social uh, perspective in what you do beyond just making money. We had commented when we started, you know, money doesn't buy happiness, and we both share that philosophy. But, you know, growing up, you know, was it a dream to be an athlete, to own a team? You know, what were your aspirations when you were just a kid? Yeah, David, when you uh, get to be uh, an older person, you can look back at your life and say, uh, was there a point in your life that defined you? Uh, and for me, it happened when I was a little boy in Bombay. Uh, I had my ear plastered to a little transistor radio, uh, and I heard these magical words, uh, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Uh, and of course, I was listening to the Voice of America uh, broadcast the moon landing uh, live all the way to Bombay. Uh, and that was a, a defining moment for me. Uh, my reaction was, wow, uh, who are these people that were able to take a man, put him in a box, and propel him 250,000 miles away to land on a rock flawlessly the very first time? What brilliance! What vision, what courage. Uh, and I thought to myself, you know, I, I want to I, I be like that. I want to be one of them. Uh, and so I decided right there and then that I was going to study hard. I was going to study science and technology. Uh, and I was going to figure out a way uh, to get to America. Uh, so that was uh, the uh, point that set the trajectory for the rest of my life. Uh, I studied hard, I applied to MIT. Uh, MIT made a mistake in the admissions process, <laughs> and, uh, ended up uh, admitting me. Uh, and uh, you know, I, back then it wasn't possible to actually just take uh, the Indian rupee and convert it easily into a US dollar. Uh, so all I was able to convince the head of the Reserve Bank of India, which is like the Federal Reserve, was to give me basically $50 and pay for uh, a quarter's worth of tuition. So I showed up uh, at Logan Airport. I showed up on the shores of Boston uh, with $50 in my pocket, but big, big dreams uh, in my head. Uh, so that was, the, that was my journey. I went to MIT, I went to Harvard, got some degrees. And um, while I was at MIT, I was an entrepreneur. I started some companies. Uh, and I always knew that I was completely unemployable. So I had to create my own, uh, my own business. Uh, and so I ended up uh, becoming an entrepreneur. 
uh, started some companies uh, and uh, along the way uh, I fell in love uh, with basketball. Uh, I had, uh, as a single dad, I was trying to find ways to spend more time with my daughter, Anjali, uh, and I foolishly volunteered to coach her basketball team. Uh, now understand that I'd never touched a basketball in my life. I grew up in Bombay playing cricket, uh, and cricket is nothing like basketball. Uh, so I show up at this gym uh, in Redwood City near my house, and there's very uh, different courts there. And I look around the room, and there's all these X Division One, seven foot tall uh, X Stanford Duke dads coaching the other teams, and then there's this Indian nerd me. Um, coaching my daughter's team. And so I'm standing there holding a basketball. Uh, I've got uh, this motley crew in front of me. And of course, back then, I didn't know what a draft was. And so uh, the other dads had picked all the best players and they had given me the girls that no one else wanted. So I'm holding the ball and I'm thinking, you know, this is going to backfire. I did this to get close to my daughter, but I'm about to make a complete fool of myself. And I didn't know what to do. So but I didn't want to show that I didn't know what I was doing. So I looked uh, very confidently at the girls and I said, today, girls, we're going to run. Uh, and I made them run up and down the court uh, for an hour uh, and just relays and just races and just run, run, run. Uh, and of course, I knew that I couldn't just keep doing that. At some point, we had to play basketball. Uh, so I went and I studied the game and uh, I actually, being a math nerd, I came up with the math equation for the game. And, and the next practice, I, I taught them the equation, which they amazingly got and they embraced. Uh, and I ended up then winning every single game and taking the team to the national championship. And so my love affair with basketball started. And then when my friend and neighbor, Joe Laker, was buying the Warriors, uh, he asked me if I wanted to join him. Uh, and I, I said, of course, and he was the chairman, I was the vice chairman. Uh, we got booed for a number of years. And then just as the team got good, I got approached by the folks in Sacramento and by uh, the then commissioner, David Stern, who said, hey, you know, you're the vice chairman, you should have your own team. Uh, if the Kings leave Sacramento, uh, it would be devastating for the city and the fans who have been so loyal. Uh, and initially, I thought, you know, I live in Silicon Valley and why would I do this? But then I realized that I had come to this country with nothing and everything I had, I owed to the state of California. Sacramento was our state capital. And so why not do this? And, and part of it was I had to give a personal guarantee that if I succeeded in buying the team, I would build a new arena in, in the city. Uh, so that's kind of, uh, brought, that brought me here. So I, yes, I owe the Sacramento Kings. When you own a team, they call you a governor. Uh, and there's 30 of us. Uh, and of course, I, I, you know, I, I recognize that it's a huge uh, privilege. Uh, it's a huge honor. Uh, it's actually quite humbling to be one of the 30. Uh, but with it also comes responsibility. Uh, and I've always been of the view that uh, you really have to live a life that's bigger than yourself. And so the mission I laid out for the Kings was to build a winning franchise that enhanced the lives of those it touches and made the world a better place. So we're very, very committed to that. So, you know, we've uh, created tens of thousands of jobs in our city. We've completely changed the face of Sacramento. 
we've been very active with regard to social justice. Uh, and of course, we were the first people to actually publicly embrace the notion that Black Lives Matter. Uh, and uh, we've invested in that. Uh, and really, it's not just Black Lives Matter, but Black education matter, uh, Black jobs matter, Black businesses matter, Black career opportunities matter. Uh, so we've been investing in enhancing the lives of our youth in, in Sacramento. Uh, so that's a quick uh, summary of, uh, you, you didn't think that was going to be such a long answer. But no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful because, you know, understanding that journey, you and I share a vision uh, in a unique type of personality trait, which is, although we are both scientists, mathematicians, pragmatic thinkers, we're huge dreamers. And this is a rarity, uh, but a, a terrific blend because I believe in two laws of the universe over all the others. And one, of course, is the law of attraction, which any great dreamer believes that first they must con conceive it in order for it to, to come to materialization. But the materialization part of the ethereal idea, uh, of uh, which I believe itself has math to it, it's a vibration of frequency. And I've been blessed to spend an enormous amount of time in India, and I call myself a Judah Buddha uh, and have studied quantum healing and theta, theta meditation there and have worked with Sanjay and Duja and uh, Kishore Lula. But what I've learned through the cross cultures is this blend of the law of attraction with something that the Indian culture as well as the Jewish culture have, which is the law of Goya. Uh, and the law of Goya is get off your ass. Uh, and from the very start of your story, it was I worked very hard. Uh, now, that hard work to me is the enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of your own potential. It is the fire that lights the idea and allows you to mold it into a material uh, existence. Things like owning, coming here with $50 and owning one of 30 of the most prestigious assets that are created on earth, which is why I never, never am amazed with what a team is worth or what it sells for, because the universe keeps expanding. People get more and more wealthy. And it's a unique asset. And of course, the wealthiest people on earth want to know, own the most unique assets being an NBA team. This blend in all your books is more pertinent today and relevant today than ever because with great change comes great opportunity. And I think that people have to not only still dream, but they have to apply that hard work, that pragmatic, mathematical, scientific technology to it. And you even in 1999 wrote a best-selling book about how winning companies respond to change using what? Math and technology. How can we apply that same idea from your books to today to allow us to take advantage of this accelerated change that, that is occurring? Yeah, so we've reached a point of exponential uh, evolution right now. Uh, you know, if you look at uh, how old the universe is, it's about 14 billion, and then our planet and our solar system is about 4 billion, and then, uh, you know, the first life happened about 500 million years after the planet was born. And so life's been on the planet for about 3.5 billion. But we've now reached that point of uh, exponential uh, evolution, almost a tipping point. Uh, and we now are living in an age where uh, computers and machines can actually uh, do a lot of uh, human tasks even better than, than humans can. And we're entering a new era, I call it Civilization 3.0. 
Civilization 1.0 was the start of modern civilization. It was driven by the agrarian revolution. Uh, people were farmers, shopkeepers, carpenters. Uh, it was the age of the artisan and the raw material was land. Uh, with the industrial revolution, we entered civilization 2.0 and it went from the age of the artisan to the age of the corporation. Uh, the raw materials were energy and steel and it was all about efficiency. Uh, we're now entering an era where the world's largest bookseller has no bookstores, the world's largest taxi company has no cars, the world's largest hotel owns no real estate. Uh, so it's really the age of information and service. Now, when we went from one to two, uh, there was massive disruption. Only 7% of the one jobs were there in two But there was also massive value creation. As we go from two to three there's going to be even bigger disruption. It's going to be the biggest disruption that we've ever seen in, in human history. Uh, but it's also going to represent the biggest wealth creation opportunity that the planet has uh, ever seen. Uh, so with this uh, threat comes great uh, opportunity. Uh, and uh, what COVID has done is it's only accelerated that. So obviously, uh, COVID has been tragic and just in this country now we've lost a couple of hundred thousand people and we lose many more. Uh, so it's been tragic, but it's also catapulted us into the future. So in a few months, in three months, we've gone three years. We're in 2023 now. So all of the trends that were happening have actually accelerated under COVID. Now in Civilization 3.0, you will also need uh, a, a different set of skills. And those people that can uh, adapt and change uh, and move quickly uh, will, uh, will, will thrive uh, and will prosper. Uh, but I also want to point out that 1.0 was about plowing the fields uh, and it was about kind of uh, your muscles. And then 2.0 was about optimizing the factory. So it was, a, you know, it was brains. What's going to make Trio uh, different is that a lot of tasks that can be done by computers will be done by computers. So where human beings come in is the emphasis shifts to the heart. So it goes from the muscle to the mind to the heart. So it's qualities like empathy uh, and being able to connect with people uh, and uh, just caring for each other. And those kinds of qualities are actually going to be really important uh, to thrive uh, in this next era, the digital era. Which is interesting because obviously emotional intelligence is more and more uh, valued. Uh, it's valued within the context of the businesses that I build and run and fund as well as you have venture capital experience uh, and have looked at many deals and looked for that emotional intelligence or now as an owner of a team, we call it basketball intelligence. I just think it's an energy and motion intelligence applicable to basketball. Uh, but one of the key components that you have written about, that you have utilized that great technological scientists uh, rely on since Einstein is time. And you talk about from the two second advantage to understanding the concept of the man-made construct of time. And I find that uh, the great leaders, entrepreneurs, billionaires that I'm blessed to be around and even athletes and celebrities and entertainers, they have their own construct when it comes to time. Can you share with us 
some of your philosophies and strategies with time, especially with the two second advantage and how it is applicable to Wayne Gretzky? Yeah, so the notion behind uh, my uh, book, which was a, a bestseller on uh, the New York Times list, The Two Second Advantage, was that uh, a little bit of information beforehand is uh, more valuable than all the information in the world uh, after the fact. So too late information is, it doesn't do you that much good. Uh, and this applies in, to businesses, but it applies to individuals. Uh, it applies to athletes. Uh, so if you look at Wayne Gretzky, uh, he didn't go to where the puck was, he went to where the puck was going to be. Uh, and so if you can apply that notion, then it gives you a huge advantage. Uh, and uh, there's no point in knowing that you've lost the customer after the customer has already gone out the door. There's no point in knowing that there's going to be fraud committed uh, after the money has left the bank. Uh, there's no point in knowing that there's going to be a power outage after you are already sitting in, in darkness. Uh, so with the notion of the two second advantage is that it turns out that the human mind actually does this automatically. You know, sometimes you might be watching, uh, you have three daughters and you might uh, be watching them play tennis. Uh, and when I would watch my kids who were all tennis players play tennis, uh, I could actually tell when my son was going to double fault. And it might seem like uh, intuition, but actually it was based on something scientific. And so the human brain does this thing called chunking where we uh, gather information and then we keep uh, a table of patterns in our brain. And then we're able to quickly anticipate and say that, uh, hey, that looks familiar. What I just saw looks familiar. And the pattern would tell you that the next serve is going to go into the net. And that, so now if you can apply that uh, in, uh, in, a, in a variety of vendor, uh, areas, you know, in, in businesses. Uh, so we were helping companies uh, figure out that, hey, you know, why are in the Indian phone market, which is the most competitive in the world, uh, can you prevent churn? You know, can you prevent people from just switching off a service and switching to another service? And it turned out that the answer was very simple, that if they had a certain number of dropped calls, then they were likely to switch to another service. So what you could do is after a certain number of dropped calls, you could offer them free minutes so that they would you know, stay with that service and not so easily switch services. Uh, we even looked at this guy who was uh, self-proclaimed the world's uh, greatest pickup artist. And he had trouble uh, with, uh, with girls. And then he said, I'm going to do Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours and I'm going to become the best at it. And so if you uh, talk to him and you studied what he did, he actually formed those patterns in his brain. So he knew exactly what the right thing to say was at the right time so that uh, the female companion stayed interested in him. Now that, you know, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it actually is everything because that's the problem that every company is trying to solve. Every company is trying to say, okay, you know, what do I need to do as a corporation? How do I knit together 
all the resources and assets of the corporation to make the customer the exact right offer at the exact right time so that they stay with me. I, I do this in my arena in Sacramento. If you tweet that your pizza is cold, I know. And even before you know you're unhappy, uh, I will make you happy. So I will know that you're there with your kids, your, your kids uh, like hot dogs. It's the fourth quarter, I have extra hot dogs. You know, they probably go to waste anyways. Uh, so why not go give them some free hot dogs? Uh, and you're coming to the next game, I have extra parking, you don't have a parking spot, offer you VIP parking. Uh, so that kind of notion is what captures the two-skin advantage, knowing something beforehand uh, and being able to do something about it uh, and then applying patterns uh, based on history uh, that allow you to anticipate the future just enough so you can influence the outcome in a positive way. And I think the most important thing is with that quote-unquote intuition or foresight that you're applying one thing to it, which is kindness. If you notice where, where we uh, utilize, there may be a shortage of void, an obstacle, or through a learning curve that mistakes are made, there's an inconsistency in human nature that causes things to not be managed correctly, that we not uh, have achieved the goal of, of meeting expectations. Your solution always is empathy and kindness. Uh, and through that more higher, I think a higher vibration, a, a greater value. So when you see that you're short in value and anticipate the shortage of value, you're responding with kindness and empathy to fill that void. And I think uh, through your entire career that you've used beyond the math, uh, beyond the strategy and the intellect and hard work, there is an overwhelming arching philosophy of just being a good person, being kind and empathetic. I'd love to, to finish with that real quick of the importance in your life of, of kindness. Yeah, so it turns out that uh, doing uh, the right thing and dealing with every situation with empathy and kindness and increased uh, dialogue and understanding turns out to be good business sense uh, as well. And so, you know, we have uh, Black Lives Matter printed on our courts uh, in, in the bubble in Orlando right now. Uh, our ratings are uh, off the charts. Uh, and so it turns out to be good, uh, good business. We had protests after we had uh, a tragic uh, situation where a young man was shot in, in his own backyard. Uh, and uh, rather than uh, confront the protesters, I invited them in uh, to sit with me, to enjoy the game, and to start a dialogue. You know, what can we do uh, to work together to make the world better? Uh, and now we've virtually eliminated uh, youth on youth violence in, in the city of Sacramento. Uh, you know, the numbers are dramatic. Uh, we've uh, also uh, created programs, uh, STEM workshops, and clinics, and uh, leagues. Uh, for, for inner city kids, and so now they have more opportunity. Uh, we brought uh, the, the police and kids and inner city folks together, uh, so people are now working together. Uh, so in, in, in my mind, uh, Civilization 3.0, the future, is, is really the era of, of kindness and empathy. Uh, and uh, we as humans are going to find that 
that's what makes us different uh, from, from computers. You, you can virtually uh, program anything and everything. You know, we, we now have uh, computers uh, that um, beat all the world go champions like a drum. They beat them like a drum. And if you think of what an enormous accomplishment that is, uh, if you think of what is the biggest number you can think of, well, what is the very biggest number you can think of? And you say, well, grains of sand, well, that's not that big. Uh, you know, stars, that's not that big. And so the biggest number is like, how many atoms are there in the universe? So there's 10 raised to 70 atoms in the universe. That's one followed by 70 zeros, that many atoms. Well, in the game of Go, there's 10 raised to 170 possible combinations. And yet computers are beating humans, a game that humans have played for thousands of years. In a few months, computers have figured out how to beat humans. So computers are getting smarter. So what does that mean for us? What that means is that it's about empathy, it's about kindness, it's about caring, it's about relationships. Uh, and that's who we are. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure and honor, Vivek, to have you here. You are my new Gandhi 3.0, uh, walking the streets, not barefooted in Calcutta, but simply with the basketball and high tops on. So we really appreciate your wisdom and insight. And thank you so much for the impact that this is going to have to empower others, to empower others, to be kind, empathetic, and most importantly, happy. I'm here, Dave Meltzer, with Vivek Dive the owner of the Sacramento Kings, governor of Sacramento Kings. Thank you so much for joining me on Entrepreneurs, The Playbook.